Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well-known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. This week on Moving to Live, we re-release a FitLab Pittsburgh podcast that we did with physical therapist Bonnie Virag of Streamlined Health Pittsburgh. Give a listen to a physical therapist who's doing something a little bit differently with telehealth and specializing in working with swimmers. If you like what we're doing on Moving to Live, please leave us some feedback on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you listen to. Now, the interview. FitLab PGH back with another podcast interview. A big thank you to Kelly Kuhn of Kelly Kuhn Physical Therapy for hooking us up with today's guest. We've traveled through a tunnel and across a bridge, but it's going to be okay because we are at Curbside Coffee where we've done interviews before, so I've got a good cup of coffee, and I'm excited to learn more about somebody who is doing something different, I think, in the Pittsburgh area. And you always say if you're going to do something that everybody else is doing, you want to do something differently or you want to do it better. And we are here with Bonnie Virag. She is Streamline Health Pittsburgh. She is a physical therapist and she specializes in working with swimmers of all levels. So if you're in any sort of swimming activity or you have a child who's a swimmer or a friend, this is definitely an interview you want to tune in in. So, uh, excuse me, Bonnie, thank you for taking time to talk to FitLab Pittsburgh. Thanks for having me. My first question, I always ask people from FitLab Pittsburgh because I am not a Pittsburgh native. Are you a Pittsburgh native? If so, why are you still here? If not, what brought you here? I am a Pittsburgh native. So I grew up about 20 miles northeast of the city in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. Um, my parents are he's still here and most of my family and my dear friends are here. I did make my way out of Pittsburgh for a while. To be clear, I did go down to North Carolina, did my master's degree down there, spent some time in Chapel Hill, loved it down there. But like many Pittsburghers, I think do made my way home. Um, I came back to go to Pitt for physical therapy school, but I met my husband, his family's here. Like I said, my family's here and um, we love the city. We're Pittsburgh sports people and I think we're here to stay. And I know one of the things with people who are involved with FitLab Pittsburgh, we are a podcast. We believe movement should be a lifestyle, not an activity. Growing up, 
I would assume you were a swimmer because very few people get to be adults and say, oh, I'm going to specialize in swimming. I'm curious, did you do other activities when you were a kid uh, athletically? Uh, and also, how did you get in these? Were mom and dad like kind of, we're going to get Bonnie out of the house? Or were you like, mom, I want to go swim with the big kids? <laughs> uh, well, you're correct. I was a swimmer. Um, I, I, the Streamline Health Pittsburgh is based a lot on my, on my own personal swimming experience. Um, I did dabble in softball, soccer, basketball. I think um, maybe a little to my dad's chagrin, I made my way back to swimming because my mom was really the competitive swimmer in the family. She was uh, swam at the collegiate level. My dad was also a college athlete athlete in baseball. Um, but swimming's really kind of in my family. Um, I have a lot of strong swimmers in my family. Um, I just learned a, a story this year that my grandma actually, who just passed away at 93 this year, but she taught a lot of swimmers to swim in the Allegheny River, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Maybe wouldn't fly today, but um, so swimming's kind of in my blood. So it's something that I've always gravitated to um, and that I've really enjoyed throughout my entire life. I know one of the things with swimmers, they often start very, very young. So how old were you when you started swimming? Um, I was definitely a product of YMCA swim lessons from a young age, probably when I was four or five at least. Um, and I loved it. I always loved the water. Um, I eventually got onto more of a competitive level, probably when I was about seven years old, started as a YMCA swim and team member. Um, I, there was a local community pool called Sylvan Park that was up in Natrona Heights that also had a strong swim lessons circuit that I was involved in and a competitive swim team that I was on. So I was kind of a year-round swimmer, I'd say, from a pretty young age, which I, which I think a lot of swimmers are. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and one of the things people may or may not know about swimming is you can literally be 80 or 90 years old and still be a competitive swimmer with master swimming. I know when I lived in Kentucky, I used to swim with a lady who was the master's coach who was 60-some and I was 20-some. And at 60-some, she was a triathlete also. I could obviously ride faster than her, run faster than her. <laughs> but there was absolutely no question when we did uh, open water swims Susan was going to leave me well, well behind because I could float, I could swim, but I, nobody would ever constitute me a competitive swimmer. I'm curious, how long did you last as a competitive swimmer? Or is this something that you're saying, well, I've taken a little time off, but at some point I'm going to get back into master swimming and maybe in my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, my 60s, I'm going to have faster swim times than I had when I was a kid, which is not unusual. Right. That's a great dream. I'd love that to happen. <laughs> I'm not currently a master swimmer. Um, I think it just has, it's not really fitting into my season of life right now, but it's something that I'd like to maybe pursue in the future. Um, I was a very strong high school swimmer, um, pretty strong in the Whippeal and at the PIAA level here in Pennsylvania. Um, I started as a college swimmer, but unfortunately, as uh, many swimmers this happens to, some injuries caught up with me. So I didn't last too long. So I kind of got out of that student-athlete mindset and just became a student, thrust myself into my academic career a little bit, which I think eventually kind of um, made me the type of healthcare professional that I really am today. So I still swim for fitness. It's not something like I hate it. I never want to do it again. Obviously, I wouldn't have started Streamline Health Pittsburgh if it didn't have such a positive impact on my life. So um, something I try to keep involved on, on a weekly basis. I'm in some, in some way, shape, or form, I'm at the pool. I know if you talk to people who swim from a young age or even run from a young age, there are some of them, I know in swimming, they call it black line fever. <laughs> and when I was at Auburn getting my doctorate, I did triathlons with a number of uh, post-collegiate 
people who had swam at Auburn or other schools, and many of them didn't swim at all because it's like, yeah, I'm just burned out of it. Do you think now with Streamline uh, Pittsburgh, do you think maybe if you hadn't been injured and you'd swam through college, you might be somebody who's like, yeah, I swam. I never want to see a pool again. Do you think maybe professional-wise the injury helped, or am I just kind of trying to make a good story? I mean, I think it's a great story. I'd like, I'm always trying to find a silver lining in a negative um, situation. So I do think my injury, you know, I was like a lot of physical therapists and I'm also a certified athletic trainer, but a lot of people who go into those fields have been, have suffered with their own injuries and they've been, um, you know, in the physical therapy clinic a lot. So I think that definitely morphed me into this. Um, had I swam in college, it's hard to tell. I think every everyone's different. I've worked at the D1 level in sports medicine as an athletic trainer. Um, I've definitely heard some of those swimmers who are swimming at the elite competitive level kind of breathe a sigh of relief when they're done. But I also think, you know, it's part of your identity. Whenever you do one sport you're for a long time, most of your life, it becomes part of who you are. And when it's done, maybe you need to take a break. But I think eventually... A lot of swimmers do get back into it, maybe with master swimming, or they take up a triathlon training. I know one of the things that's very common or popular right now is talking about maybe it's not a good idea to specialize in a single sport at a young age. And from my other podcast, Moving to Live, I've interviewed a couple of physical therapists and other uh, people in the healthcare and, and performance fields and say, you know, 12 or 13 might be the best age to start rather than younger. You mentioned you started swimming competitively at seven. What are your thoughts now seeing the way youth sports are and you're in a, a business where injuries are good and so, on the one hand, on the other hand, teaching people so they don't get injuries is good also. What are your thoughts on ages for people to swim? So somebody's listening to this, it's like, you know, my kid's swimming, I'm not sure. Should they be in one of those swim programs where they're swimming six, seven days a week? You know, when should they start double swimming workouts? You know, just give people a little bit of idea from somebody who not only has swam the swam, mm -hmm. but also as somebody who has the education as a healthcare professional say, well, this isn't a good idea because. Well, um, I think that's a great question. And it, it's there's a lot of buzz about that topic in the athletic training world right now. There was just an official statement released by the National Athletic Trainers Association. You might be familiar with it because you are an athletic trainer as well. Um, and it talked about youth sports specialization and injury prevention. And their recommendations were for children to play multiple sports, especially in that prepubescent prepubescent stage. So I agree with you when you say around like 13 up, you, you know, that's when you can maybe start to specialize in a sport. Their other recommendation was really to play multiple sports as long as you can. So um, I think they had some athletic trainers who worked in professional sports quoted, and they said that I think it was a very high percentage of pro athletes were multi-sport athletes. There's the rare occasion, obviously, that people were um, specialized from a young age and they could go the distance with that. But there's more risk for injury. There's more risk for psychological stress and burnout. Um, so a good rule of thumb that I've seen in the research, um, and you might be able to speak to this as well, is that swimmers should swim uh, like in that young age. Hours per week should no, be no more than the years old that they are. So if you're seven years old, you really shouldn't participate in your sport-specific training more than seven hours a week. So that's for swimmers or for any athlete. And I know mentioning the specialization, I've seen some uh, 
beginning research coming out of uh, information done with National Basketball Association players showing that they're getting players who already have chronic lower extremity injuries because they're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, and all they're doing is playing elite-level AAU basketball. So I think it's great that the NATA has said, you know, here's an hour limit because it's really easy to say, well, let the kid do what they want. It's a lot easier to say, you know, you're 10 years old. You can swim for 10 hours. If you want to do other things, here are some other activities you can do. And I think to be clear, too, when the National Athletic, the NATA, National Athletic Trainers Association, said play multiple sports, it also doesn't mean play multiple sports all in the same season. Space that out. I'm curious. I know the reason I became an athletic trainer was when I was in high school, I sprained an ankle and somebody took me to an athletic trainer. It's like, oh. And I have to say that at that point, the guy said, don't be an athletic trainer. Go to physical therapy school. And of course, I'm like, I don't want to be a physical therapist. <laughs> what was it or where was the impetus for you to say, you know, I want to be a physical therapist? I've interviewed some people who are second generation physical therapists, other people who had an injury and other people said, well, I didn't want to go to medical school. What was it or when do you did you say, you know, I think I want to go to physical therapy? And kind of as a beginning question to that, when did you first learn what a physical therapist was? So I knew what a physical therapist was when I was in high school because that's kind of when I started to have some um, overuse shoulder injury issues as a swimmer, I spent a lot of my weekdays going to school, going over to the physical therapy clinic that was near my high school, and then coming back to do my practice. So um, I was very familiar with what a physical therapist could do and how they could help somebody like me as a youth athlete or a um, high school athlete. Uh, I loved athletic training. I still am an athletic trainer. I maintain those credentials today because I really support the profession and all of this clinical skills that it's given me. Um, when I was in graduate school at the University of North Carolina, my um, mentor was actually a PTATC. And, you know, we had a lot of discussions. He never pushed me one way or the other, I think. Um, but what I learned was that as a physical therapist, you're really not focusing as much on just treating physically active people. Um, and really in athletic training, that's who you're working with. You're working with athletes. You're working with people in performing arts. Um, athletic trainers are getting into more of the industrial setting, working with employees who have physically active jobs. But physical therapists work in such a broad range. They have a, such a broad population that they can work with, anywhere from pediatrics to geriatrics, cardiopulmonary, cardiac rehab, women's health, orthopedics, which is kind of the realm that I specialize in right now. Um, you can really treat a broad number of people and that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I kind of used physical therapy to complement athletic training and vice versa. And then I know I have the advantage of getting you to fill out a little bio sheet. You got a subspecialty in physical therapy and you mentioned some of them. You have a orthopedic subspecialty, which is my understanding is one of the more challenging ones. How did you make the decision? I think I interviewed a physical therapist in the past. There's either there's 10 plus specialties in physical therapy. We won't ask you to name them all. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I know there's a women's health one. There's a pulmonary one. There's an orthopedic one. There's a sports medicine one. What was it after you became licensed as a physical therapist that said, you know, I think I want to go further because a lot of people, when they become physical therapists or athletic trainers or CSCSs or MDs, it's like, okay, I'm just going to do the bare minimum. We're not saying that's the right thing, but I know from talking to physical therapists that to get these specialty not only do you have to take a test, you have to have a certain number of hours in the specialty. 
And then to make it even worse or better, if you're somebody who's going to see this particular physical therapist, you have to continually get reaccredited. And I think you have to retake the test after a couple of years. So you have 10 years, actually, to figure that out. Um, That's I- a couple of years when you're 50 plus. Well, I just um, I, I just recently successfully passed the exam this past year, um, so I'm very excited about that. Like you said, there are lots of specialties I could have chosen from. I knew coming out of physical therapy school that I would want to pursue something, um, and initially I wasn't too sure. I think the sports certification would align very closely with my athletic training knowledge, um, but the orthopedics... Uh, was very, also very closely aligned. So athletic training and physical therapy both have a strong musculoskeletal curriculum. Um, they deal a lot with orthopedics in our training. So uh, either one of those, I think, would have felt really comfortable for me. Um, I am a full-time physical therapist in my daily job outside of Streamline Health Pittsburgh, and I work a lot with orthopedic patients. And I just felt that this test uh, could really translate, the knowledge on this test could really translate better to working with the patients that I see on a daily basis. And I think I have a pretty Pretty strong sports medicine foundation through my athletic training um, career and education. So that's why I aim to go orthopedics rather than sports. We're talking with Bonnie Fierig. She is the owner of Streamline Health Pittsburgh, which specializes in working with swimmers. I'm curious if the idea for Streamline came from your experiences as an injured swimmer and kind of as a follow-up question for that as current Bonnie, if you could go back to youth swimmer Bonnie, is there one or two pieces of information you might offer her so that during her high school she didn't have to constantly run to the physical therapy clinic before going to practice, which essentially adds another hour and a half to two hours of your practice schedule? Yes. um, So Streamline Health Pittsburgh, the catalyst for that was definitely a blend between my swimming experience and all of the knowledge that I've gained as an athletic trainer and a physical therapist over the past decade. Um, I've worked, like I said, in Division One sports very closely with a Division One swim team. So I, while I didn't uh, myself make it through my college career due to injury, I got to see firsthand how those swimmers, uh, you know, de- the demand that's placed on those swimmers. The higher you go in any sport, the more um, expert you come in, become in a sport, the higher the expectations that are placed on the athlete. So I saw you know, um, people spend a lot of time out of the water because of their injury. I saw careers end and it's very heartbreaking. Um, so I knew something had to be done. I also did my master's thesis research on freestyle biomechanics and shoulder pain in the elite competitive athlete. And I've had some research published on that. Um, so I really got into the literature and, uh, really got pretty excited about the potential that was there to help swimmers prevent overuse injury. Um, If I could have had some of this knowledge, I think when I was a youth athlete, I would hope it would have made a difference. Um, That's the whole point of Streamline Health Pittsburgh, keep people in the water and out of the athletic training room, physical therapy clinic, and doctor's office. Not that I'm trying to steal business from those people, but um, it is such an epidemic, overuse injury in swimming, and I think something needs to happen. I had a lot of strong coaches growing up who, at you know, they did the best that they could. They're there to help us with performance. But right now, they should be able to focus on the performance of their swimmers and not have to be worried about their swimmers getting injured and dealing with focusing on individualized technique for 50, 100 swimmers on their team. There's just not enough time and energy in their day. So, yes. <laughs> Nobody would ever have called me a competitive swimmer. I actually went through the normal Red Cross things. And when I was 22 years old in grad school, I decided I wanted to do triathlons. I still remember my first master's workout. 
I showed up and I was very physically fit. I think we did about 2,500 yards and I went home and skipped my classes for the rest of the day because I was absolutely wiped out and thought I could never do that. Of course, a couple of months later, I decided that a good idea for my first triathlon would be an open water swim in Virginia Beach, which the waves were five or six feet tall. And when I didn't drown, I realized, oh, this could be kind of fun. (laughs) And what I learned from that is the realization that with swimming, it is such a technique-oriented sport. And you've alluded to the fact that injuries, especially overuse injuries in swimmers, are incredibly high. And I think partially because there's a lot of swimming. And swimming is one of those sports where they talk about a feel for the water. And if 4,000 meters a day is good, then boy, 6,000 meters would be even better. And if you could go two workouts a day, that would be even better still. Somebody who is listening to this, whether they have children who are swimming or whether they're an adult and says, hey, you know, triathlons might be something cool to do or master swimming, they can be cool to do. How can people minimize their risks of developing some of these overuse injuries? Well, I think there's two components to that equation to minimize your risk of injury. The first is to get with somebody who can help you develop really strong technique, just like you said. Um, So freestyle is the stroke that's really used in open water swimming and triathlon training. And really the research shows, and I can speak to this anecdotally just as a past competitive swimmer myself, that 80% of every swim practice is swum using freestyle. And that's just because freestyle is the fastest sport or the fastest stroke, excuse me, And like you said, volume is like the goal in swimming. It's the nature of swimming. It's the environment of the sport. Um, You want to swim more, more laps, more yardage, more meters. So that's why freestyle is used. And then if you're somebody who's a triathlete, very often what you'll find is freestyle is only what you use because somebody will say, well, I'm doing an open water swim. I don't care about doing butterfly or breaststroke or backstroke. And I would put myself in that category when I was doing triathlons. So getting with a a good technique person, is that somebody like you? Is that finding uh, a coach? I know that uh, very often it's difficult to find a good coach if you don't come from a swimming background because just like with running coaches, essentially one of the common things is, well, I swam in college or I swam in high school. I'm pretty good, so I'm a good coach. And that's really not true. You have to have some knowledge. So talk a little bit about what you can offer with uh, Streamline Streamline Health Pittsburgh. So um, I think coaches are in a good place to start this process, give you a little bit of guidance on your stroke. So if you're a a swimmer on a high school team or a college team, um, or you're working with a triathlon coach, I definitely think they can start the process. But someone like me with who has both experience as a competitive swimmer and a healthcare professional who works um, with movement analysis is really, I think, somebody who can take you to the next level and really help to reduce your risk of injury. I'm not only looking at your stroke from a performance standpoint, but I'm looking at your technique to make sure that you're swimming with the most mechanical efficiency with every stroke that you take. The thing about freestyle is that even when you swim it with perfect technique, you think your your arm is reaching out overhead, you're taking all these revolutions on your shoulder, um, you're really in an impingement position no matter what you do. So that's, sorry. And for people who don't know, if you can just briefly describe the impingement position, because not all, all of us are physical therapists or athletic trainers. Sure. Thank you. Um, so in freestyle, let's think about freestyle. So freestyle is the front crawl stroke. So that's um, the stroke that you're going to see a lot in the Olympics, the Summer Olympics. Um, it's where your arm is recovering over top of the water, but then you also have half of the stroke that's pulling underneath the water. So you're alternating your right and left arm flooding 
rider kicking forward. So that's your front crawl. Uh, the impingement position is any time that you really reach out long in front of you in the pool. And then if you are potentially crossing your midline, so if you just imagine an imaginary line down your spine, if your hand crosses that midline while you're pulling underneath the water, that would also be considered an impingement position. So you're closing off your shoulder joint on some very important structures in there, such as your rotator cuff. When you mention this, immediately I'm thought of the uh, what we commonly see now is the forward head position and the hunched over our cell phones or our steering wheels. So as we mentioned a little bit earlier, one of the great things about swimming is it literally is a lifetime sport. So you know, if you're a football player, you're not going to be 50 years old in playing football. In most cases, you might be at Adam Venetari and doing it as a kicker. But I'm curious, as a physical therapist, when you work with older athletes who maybe are in white collar jobs or they do a lot of forward positions and they already come in and they're kind of rounded in in their shoulders and the head forward. They're already in the impingement uh, position before they start swimming. How do you begin to work with them? Because you send them out to swim and immediately what they're going to be doing is pinching the rotator cuff and other structures because that's their natural position. Not a good position, but the position they've adapted to. Right. And that's a great question. And that's the other half, the other part of my equation. So you've got to have good strength or good technique, excuse me. And then you have to have good, solid strength to kind of counteract all the things that are happening in your daily life with bad posture and counteract the things that are also happening in the pool. So if you think about freestyle, um, you know, it's a repetitive motion. And if you're in the pool, let's say, eight hours a week, you're doing eight hours a week using the same muscles and the same muscles are in demand. Those muscles who are, that are in high demand are typically in the front of your chest. So your pectoralis major, your pectoralis minor, the internal rotators of your shoulder, they not only get strong, but they also get tight and they pull you into that rounded shoulders posture like you're referring to. Um, I always say I can pick a swimmer out of a crowd and it's not because they have wet hair and smell like chlorine, which is also true often, um, but it, they kind of have these physical characteristics of a forward head rounded shoulders posture. So they need to be incorporating some sort of dry land training that strengthens the muscles typically in their posterior shoulder. So in the back of their shoulder and in their mid back, working on mobility um, to a certain degree as well. I know one of the things you commonly see in the running community is the common is, I don't need to lift because I run and that's enough strengthening. And you commonly see those people who are old runners who've been running for a long time. I'm thinking of Steve Spence, who is a former uh, medalist in the World Championships in the marathon. He's over 50. He's still running. He's still doing a sub uh, five-minute mile every year. And I remember when he was racing competitively, he got a lot of flack because there would be articles in Runner's World, et cetera, because he lifted heavy weights. Do you see that in the swimming community where the comment from the coaches are or the comments from the swimmers are, I don't need to do this dryland training. I don't need to do this strength training because I swim a lot and that'll strengthen my muscles. Um, I think that might be heard sometimes. Um, I do think I've seen in the swimming community, and I don't want to generalize, but I've seen it. Some dryland programs are maybe more focused on, you know, kind of these big 
sexy movements almost. You know, I mean, we're doing box jumps up onto the block, you know, the swimming block, and I've seen some skin, some shins get skinned. Um, so things that I feel like the risk outweighs the reward when there's really should be more focus on some of the fundamentals, strengthening the rotator cuff, strengthening the, the muscles that stabilize your shoulder blades because your shoulder blade and your ball and socket joint all have to work together to move as a unit to have really healthy, strong shoulders and healthy swimming stroke. Um, making sure that you've got good hip strength and, um, to, you know, to have a hip driven kick. So all of your strokes, all four strokes, freestyle, butterfly, backstroke, and breaststroke all really rely on having a strong kick. You don't want to just rely only on your arms because even in freestyle, over 75% or so of your stroke, the propulsion is done, is accomplished through your arms. But if you don't have some sort of kick to support your arms, I mean, that's just a lot of grinding on your shoulders. So you need to have that outside dry land program to complement your in-water swimming. And I know a lot of times people are very time-driven. Uh, one of the advantages of swimming is it doesn't matter what the weather is out. As long as it's not lightning, you can go to the pool. I'm curious if with uh, Streamline Health Pittsburgh, if the swimmers that you work with, you recommend that there's some sort of a routine they do daily or almost daily. I know one of the reasons I'm able to continue running is when I was young, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to be hurt some of the time. Now it's kind of like there's some times where I spend 20 or 30 minutes doing things because I'm smart enough or I've experienced enough. There's certain areas of my body that if I don't do these things, I'm going to get injured. Do you recommend that with swimmers that in addition to doing the, quote, official dryland training that depending on their structure, there may be a, a female who has a certain group of exercises that they should do, which would be different from another female just because of their job, their life experiences, et cetera? Sure. I think the best dry land programs are going to be individualized to the person. So that would be, you know, you want to get with a professional. I, I offer this through Streamline Health Pittsburgh, but you want to get with somebody who can do a nice musculoskeletal screen on you to identify what some of your strength strengths and some of your weaknesses are, and then tailor that dry land program to that. Time is our most valuable commodity. I am with you. Nobody has time. As a physical therapist, it's very hard to sometimes get compliance from patients because they have such busy schedules. They can't do their home exercise programs. So really with swimming, when you do a dry land program, um, you want to institute it in the within the first six weeks of your season. And so, or in the off season, those would be the ideal times to start this. Really any time is it's valuable information, but start it at the beginning of your season. You're only doing it three to four times a week, really. And the session should last no more than 15, 20 to 20 minutes because the goal is to get the swimmers back in the water and coaches will not buy into a dry land strength program that lasts probably more than that anyway. They want the swimmers in the water. Um, and then once your competitive season starts, you can even cut that down to a couple of times a week. You can still get benefits without losing time in the water. And um, you don't want to mimic what you're doing in the water, especially with overuse sports. So you want to do something that gives you the fundam fundamental strength to support and complement what's going on in the water. I know one of the advantages you and I have is we have a fair amount of education and a fairly large group of people who we recognize know more than us. But we were chatting a little bit. Sometimes it's very difficult for somebody who doesn't come from a medical or a movement background to identify who is a credible person, who is not a credible person. So how do you handle a parent or a, a swimmer who comes to you and they say, well, my coach said I needed to do this. And with a physical therapy degree and an athletic training degree, you mentioned movement screens, et cetera. 
how do you broach that with the parent where sometimes the correct information may not be what they're getting from somebody else who is a maybe an expert or may not be an expert? Well, I would hope that a parent would see the safety of their child as a priority. And that's definitely the priority of any information that I ever deliver, any education that I would give a parent or especially a youth swimmer. My goal is to allow them to swim for as long as they want pain-free. That would be the ideal goal. So I'm here to reduce their risk of injury with the education that I'll get them, give them. Um, and I always like to say that, you know, the nice byproduct of having a very good, having good technique and having strong strength in the muscles that are most in demand when you swim um, often is faster swimming. So if they're concerned about their child's performance, I mean, that's a nice way to broach that topic. I'm not here to shut them down. I'm here to encourage them to swim in the most healthy and safe manner possible. And I like that term, you're not there to shut them down. I know as somebody who's been athletic for a number of decades, and you as an athletic trainer and a physical therapist probably remember the days where somebody would come in with a sore shoulder or a sore knee and the first thing would be, okay, we need to shut you down or we'd say, okay, we need to pull you out of practice. Mm -hmm. Why do you think there's the change from that to now it's not necessarily, you can't swim anymore, but you can swim as long as it doesn't hurt versus don't swim because it hurts. Right. Well, movement movement is medicine. That's the new phrase. And I think more people should adopt that. Um, you know, in youth swimming, you want to you want to be careful. We've talked about playing multiple sports, making sure that there's adequate true off time, true off seasons, true recovery time. Um, but when you get to be an, an older adult, you know, I see a lot of these people in physical therapy. Uh, Maybe they're coming in with osteoarthritis, and what I tell them is, hey, motion is the lotion, baby. You know, I don't say baby. <laughs> um, so, but we, you know, you want to keep people moving and you want to have a conversation about what's discomfort that's appropriate when they're ha in during any physical activity and what pain is, where pain maybe I should talk to my athletic trainer, or my physical therapist, or my physician. And I think one of the things, and I think you can probably comment on this, in Pennsylvania they have direct access physical therapy. And I think that's what Kelly Kuhn uh, is doing too. So that if you have these nagging pains or these niches uh, or these things that you're not sure, we all know with traditional medicine, if you call your family practice physician or your orthopedic, it may be three or four weeks before you can get in. Whereas with direct access, maybe you can explain a little bit what exactly is direct access because it has some tremendous benefits for people who want to maintain their activity. Right. And um, I do think Kelly spoke about this on her podcast as well, but all 50 states in the United States have direct access physical therapy in some way, shape, or form. In Pennsylvania, this means that, let's say, your, your child has been having some nagging shoulder pain, and it's really come on during their swim season. There's been no other interesting trauma. They haven't had any other illnesses. You're pretty sure that this is directly related to maybe their possibly directly related to their swimming. A great person to see would, would be a direct access physical therapist. So you don't need a referral from your physician. You can go to, um, you know, you can call your local physical therapy clinic and say, hey, are, do you have a direct access phys phys uh, physical therapist there? Do I need a referral from my physician? If they're direct access, they'll say, no, come on in. They'll do a full screen and they'll be able to identify whether this is something that they can appropriately treat in the PT clinic. And if they feel like there's something funny going on that maybe is not within their scope of practice, they will refer you back to their physician. And it's going to 
get you there, get you to your results faster, hopefully. Um, you bypass your physician, an orthopedic surgeon, all these wait times that you talked about, imaging fees. Um, so, you know, that's really what we want. We want to get people in with direct access physical therapists as much as possible, um, as long as it's safe. I know one of the things that I've been told is I'm a little over-attention detailed, and I still remember when I lived in Florida, one of the best uh, physical therapists for running injuries happened to be in Atlanta, and I knew that because I lived in Atlanta. So I was the idiot or the smart person who decided he was going to fly up to Atlanta to see this guy. For something like what you're doing with Streamline Health Pittsburgh, we got the beginning of the year, people set New Year's resolutions, I'm going to get more fit, I'm going to join the health club. Is this something that Christmas gifts or New Year's gifts, they can say, hey, you know, I'm going to buy a session with Kelly and Streamline Health Pittsburgh so that she can come at a convenient time, watch me swim and say, you know, these are some things that might keep you swimming into March, April, May, three years from now, rather than you're the person at the end of January says, my shoulder's hurt, I can't swim. That sounds like a great Christmas gift. <laughs> but um, no, I think it's definitely, you know, it's things that I offer. I do offer, uh, if you're local to the Pittsburgh area where we are, um, I offer in-person sessions so I can come to whatever pool you train at. I can do a stroke analysis there. Everything's filmed as well. So I do above and underwater filming from multiple angles. So you will get my commentary during our one-on-one -on -one session. Then I will also record my uh, verbal commentary over the video that I'll clip. I send that to you with a s summary of recommendations. So you have a lot of things to hold on to and refer to after our session. Um, I also do dry land screening or musculoskeletal screenings and dry land programs um, in person as well. But if you're not local to Pittsburgh, you know most of this it falls in the injury prevention and wellness category, and it doesn't have to be a formal physical therapy evaluation. Um, we can talk virtually. So we can talk through video chat. You can send me your film for swimming. So as long as you have some sort of access to a waterproof camera or a water safe case for your phone, I'll give you the instructions to film your own stroke. You put that in a Dropbox file or send it to me through email. I'll clip it, analyze it, and give you all the things that I would give to an in-person client. And I know one of the things I think is dramatically underrated is the ability to look at your video over time, I know very often I'll get my girlfriend to film me and the dogs under a FitLab Pittsburgh movement tip and lifestyle hack. But part of it is I'll be able to look at my running form and see, oh, my hip is moving out a little bit or my foot is doing, this is what I need to work on. So I think uh, an important point to emphasize with analysis, it's not just a single time and do it. And I think you alluded to this uh, when we asked for some recommendations when you filled out the bio is you talked about having a once a year or once every couple of years um, kind of analysis from a physical therapist. I know Dr. Shirley Sarman has recommended this. People often uh, go to their general practice or family practice physician for a health checkup. But what is a yearly or bi-yearly physical therapist checkup? I think as movement is a lifestyle, it's important, but maybe you could speak a little more on it. Uh, well, I think throughout the year, the way that we move can change just based on demands of our everyday life. So maybe we've just transitioned from a job where we were a little bit more on our feet. And now we sit in front of a computer eight hours a day, you might have a little bit different posturing, you might carry yourself a little bit of a different way throughout the day. Um, and you might have some more aches and pains that you might want to see a physical therapist about. Um, I think a yearly checkup is something a yearly checkup yearly tune up in the physical therapy world is definitely 
definitely a goal that we're getting, getting towards. When it comes to swimming, I mean, there's research that shows your biomechanics can change from the beginning of the season to the end of the season. So things can change based on the volume of swimming that you're doing. So I think touching base with somebody about your mechanics, even especially a before and after, I've actually done that with a few clients and it's been very helpful to, you know, just to see we're, we've made these accomplishments, but we're still working towards these other goals with your technique. Um, I think there's definitely a place for that and I encourage it. We've had some great information from Bonnie Vureg, Streamline Health Pittsburgh. If you're a mover, if you're thinking about swimming, check out the show notes. Bonnie, I want to thank you for talking to FitLab Pittsburgh about swimming and about movement as a lifestyle. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.